Good morning. It's good to see everybody again this morning. Let's pray again, please. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. We pray that you will help us to enjoy you, learn from you. I pray you give me wisdom, Lord. Help me to be accurate, clear, passionate, and help the listener to be as passionate for understanding who you are and what you are about. We want to see your glory, God. Please use us. Show us your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Neat passage. Um, This is one of those that shows something about our our church a little bit, distinguishes us in that we go verse by verse through the Bible. I'm I'm fairly sure that most churches around the world right now haven't picked this passage. (laughs) I'm sure that uh, going through the Bible, uh, often people like to pick topics and passages that they really like to preach on. Um, I confess to you the first hundred times I read this little passage, I said, oh, yeah, I really want to preach on this one. Uh, I'm kidding. That's sarcasm. That is a, it's a difficult little passage. Um, And on top of that, my notes are not there. So y'all are going to have fun with that. That's going to be a little different. You're just going to have to look at the screen. And if you look inside your bulletins, um, there's a handout and you can follow along fairly simple. Um, So hopefully I'll do my best to clearly state the points for you today. Interesting passage, though. Last week we saw Jesus gave a defense of his person and work to some critics. We saw last week that another demon was cast out, and then a group rose up to criticize Jesus. Some said that Jesus had performed the miracle by the power of Beelzebul. And others said that they wanted a bigger display from God that wasn't good enough. As we saw last week, this criticism of Jesus reveals the depravity of man's heart. But we saw that Jesus responded with mercy and grace by giving a defense of his person and work. He didn't have to, remember? This was just merciful of Jesus to give a defense. We saw Jesus gave four defenses of his status as the miracle worker working Messiah. Four defenses of his status as a miracle working Messiah. First, we saw Jesus is the divine king to follow because he is all-knowing. We saw that in verse 17. We saw their hearts. And then we saw Jesus is the divine king to follow because he is against evil. Right? Jesus explained he couldn't be led by Satan because he works against the kingdom of darkness. Then we saw that Jesus is the divine king to follow because he is doing what is right. Jesus explained that other younger Jews were casting out demons also, their sons, and these true followers of Jesus would stand in contrast to those who were rejecting Jesus as their Messiah at the day of judgment. It's a stark contrast. 
So they were doing it by the same power. And then finally, fourth, we saw Jesus is the divine king to follow because he works by the power of God in verses 20 to 22. Jesus explained that since he was doing these miracles by the power of God, he was the king and his kingdom was in their midst, in effect. Then we saw last week and we concluded with this invitation Jesus gives and I kind of wanted to bring that back up and discuss it a little bit more because it's a very important little verse. In verse 23, it says, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. We see here a clear line is drawn between the two kingdoms. Jesus explains that there is no neutral position in this world war between the kingdoms. As one commentator stated, there is no Switzerland in this war. Switzerland, as most of you know, during the both world wars stayed neutral, right? They are known as the neutral country. However, I did some research and found out that in the Second World War, Switzerland made some concessions to Germany to keep them from attacking them. In other words... They allowed Germany to use them in some way so that Germany wouldn't attack them and become their enemy. So in effect, Switzerland was not completely neutral in the Second World War. And in this world, in the spiritual world, and in the war that we are in, there is, and there is no neutral position. You can't be neutral in the battle. You're either with Christ or against him. There's no in-between. A person is either for Jesus or against him. Now, the average unbeliever, I do want you to note, might not think they are following Satan. <laughs> Matter of fact, I'm fairly sure that the Jewish elites at that time would not have said, oh, yeah, I'm following Satan. No, they thought they were following the true God, but they weren't. They were against Jesus. They were blaspheming the very God they said they believed in. This is what Jesus says here. If we are born again, our heart is committed to Christ. If God has not changed our hearts and we're not regenerated, we are following Satan, as Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says. There's no middle ground. So the obvious question is, for all of us, are you with the king or against the king? The two groups are clearly defined in that verse. First, the ones who are with Jesus and those who are against him. And second, the ones who gather together with him and those that scatter. The imagery here is being united with the king and his people compared to those who are scattering like sheep without a pasture, or a pasture, without a shepherd, excuse me. Remember, the believers know their shepherd and king, and they follow him. Jesus compares his leadership to, this, to a shepherd in other places. Turn with me over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. He's probably using the same comparison here in Luke chapter 11, verse 23. Just want to look at a couple of verses here in John chapter 10. 
They're either gathering with him or scattering. The idea of shepherd is united with the kingship of God in several places throughout Scripture. But Jesus does it here in John chapter 10. He says in John chapter 10 verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for, my, for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. He's talking of the Gentiles. I must bring them also. They will hear my voice, and they will become how many flocks? One flock with one shepherd. See, we gather together with him. And we follow the shepherd. Same concept. But everybody else goes where? They scatter. Can't you look at the world and see this? The scattering principle. We've got thousands of different sects of religions, right? Genuine, true believers gather together under one united king, King Jesus. Now, I know some of you are saying, what about all these denominations? Well... There's still a universal church that's there, and the king is still king over the true followers. Unfortunately, there are wheat and tares, and that causes divisions. See, Jesus' own sheep come together and follow him, just as he says back in Luke chapter 11, verse 23. Turn back there. All true believers are united with one Lord and one king. You're with him or you're scattering You're with Christ and his people or you're scattering. So ultimately, Jesus has revealed that he is the one true king to follow. And he has drawn a line in the sand and said, in effect, if you are with me, you are on God's side. But if you are against me, you are on the devil's side. My prayer today is is that we will all evaluate whether we are on the right side. Are you with him or are you against him? Now, a challenge for you that are believers. Sometimes you can act like you're against him. I think we'll see today what the ones that are with him, what they are characterized by, what they look like. And so he describes this and gives some warnings. And Jesus now gives two warnings concerning the listener's response to his teaching concerning himself. These two warnings are very important and great ones for us to know. First, I want you to notice a warning. Jesus gives a warning to understand the unseen spiritual world. That's found in verses 24 to 26. He says this. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and not finding any. It says... I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Jesus reveals two truths here in his little theology lesson on demons. Uh, By the way... Jesus was all about being a, was a theologian. He studied God and then revealed God to other people. 
Jesus here shows something about himself in this theology lesson on demons. First, Jesus has insight into the spiritual world that no one else has. Second, when a demon leaves a person, there's a need for a new commitment by the freed person or things could be worse later. Let's look at these two points. First, Jesus has insight into the spirit world no one else has. One of the things that makes working with many of you college students tons of fun is you are so eager to learn and have tons of questions. It's one of the things that makes our church so refreshing. We have a church full of hungry Christians. It's, oh man, what a blessing to be in this place. But I confess sometimes you guys ask me questions that I have no clue how to answer. One of the things we talked about just a couple of weeks ago at Systematic is the spiritual world. How can angels appear but then not appear? How can they have bodies but not be seen? Can you have a body and be spiritual? I can't. I, I, I confess to you guys, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm clueless. <laughs> Is there a fourth dimension? Oh, Andrew, you listening? Is there a fourth dimension that the spirit world lives in and we can't see it? I don't know. <laughs> Not able to see into the spiritual world. So I'm absolutely clueless. What does this show about me? I'm a man. <laughs> I'm a man. But here in this passage, Jesus does something staggering. He informs us of something that we don't know. He talks about the spiritual world, and it's not revealed anywhere else in Scripture like this other than Jesus. He talks about things that can't be seen. What does that say? He's deity. He came from the spirit world. Again, only someone who has come from the spirit world can describe the things that are unseen. And that's what Jesus does. Look at some of the details Jesus gives concerning the unseen spirit world. First, he says, Jesus describes the exit of a demon. It says, an unclean spirit goes out of a man. Now, this does not necessarily mean that it was an exorcism where he was cast out. He could have just left. Jesus could be saying that demons can come and go from people to people. He knows something about demons that the world didn't know, and he reveals it. Jesus describes the journey of a demon. It says this really strange little thing. It passes through waterless places seeking rest. What? What is that? Read the commentaries. It's amazing. There's tons of opinions on what waterless places are. I mean, it's it could be summarized by all kinds of things. It's deserts. It could be... Uh, going through the air, it could be, this could be a reference to the wilderness, it could be traveling outside of one living being to another because living beings are full of water. Guess what? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I studied it, I'm really not sure. But what does it say? Jesus knows. He gets it. He knows what's going on. One thing he does explain, he continues, 
He explains that demons get rest by dwelling in people. Demons get rest by dwelling in people. They get satisfaction by dwelling in humans. Why? Is it the water? (laughs) I don't think so. I think it's a place where they get to express their evil. But again, I want you to emphasize something. I want to emphasize something. I said, I think. (laughs) Again, Jesus says it. They get rest by dwelling in people. So guess what? Demons get satisfaction by being in people. Maybe they get expressed their evil to their fullest extent in humans. Jesus then describes what demons think about. (laughs) How many of you know what demons are thinking? None of us. (laughs) Jesus did. Says a lot about his deity, doesn't it? He knows what demons think. He says, and not finding any, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. He knows what are common thoughts for demons. Man. There is a logical thought that comes with them. Now, granted, it's a corrupted, evil logical thought. I got to go to the place where what? There's some rest. I'm going back to the house that I came from. The house is the dwelling place, which is humans. Jesus describes or described the observation of a demon. He says, when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. What does that mean? Does that mean a human... Literally sweep something and clean something out inside of us? Well, I think he's implying here that there's no baggage. Maybe they don't have a lot of distractions. And he can focus their attention only on his evil thoughts. The demon recognizes it, though. What does that say? This means demons can look into our hearts, our souls, And see what a person is all about? This is kind of scary, isn't it? The demonic world can look inside of us and know what consumes us and what we're all about? That's what Jesus says. Notice also Jesus describes a demon's ability to communicate with other demons. (laughs) Look at this. Then it goes and takes along seven other demons. Spirits more evil than itself. What does that imply? Demons are able to talk to each other and communicate. Come on. I found a great home. Come over here. They're able to communicate? Evil going on. Where is this happening? Do you see it? No. But it's happening where we can't see, and he's telling us about it. Jesus describes a demon's ability to dwell with multiple other demons. They go in and live there. That means a person can be possessed by eight demons, in this case. At least eight, right? One, and then he goes and gets seven more. There's eight demons? How do you put, just by chance, how do you put eight living beings in one living being? How do you do that? Anybody? I have no clue. (laughs) I have no clue. But it happens. We know from the other one, legion, for there are many, can dwell in one person. This is, is it a little bit scary? 
I mean, if we're really honest, isn't it a little bit kind of creepy? Demons, lots of them, can live inside a person? Jesus is describing all this. At first glance, it's like, when you come to verse 24, it appears that it just continues on from verse 23. It's continuing a conversation. Why? Why does he do this? Why does he just start talking about this? I mean, the, the transition doesn't, in, at first glance, doesn't seem to really make a lot of sense, does it? I mean, he's talking about, one, you're either with me or against me. Now, let me tell you about demons. They leave and come, and they get some friends, and they come, and they dwell, and wow. Jesus concludes with this summary statement there at the bottom, and I think that's one of the keys to the whole understanding of the whole thing. It says, and they go in and live there, and the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. So in this world, the evil demonic world can dwell in people, and evil can become the consuming influence in a person's life. So what does this call us to do? Depend on the one that knows the evil world. Listen closely. This is the implied point of the whole thing. Are you with me or against me? If you're against me, you could be susceptible to what? Demonic influence. Lots of it. You could be driven by demons continuously. If you're not with me, you are what? Against me. You could be consumed by evil and not even know it because you don't see it. This is a wild thought, which is one of his main points. When a demon leaves a person, there is a need for a new commitment by the freed person, or things could be worse later. There's a need to be committed to Christ to avoid the evil influences of Satan. The spirit world is not something we see, and it appears that demons are able to possess people pretty easily. Doesn't it look like the way he says it? They can come, and they can go, and they go, oh, come on over here. Let's get in here. I don't know about you, but that says what? I'm a needy person. Humans can be controlled by evil influence. Is that scary? Yes. So what should we do? Go to the one that's king of them all. <laughs> Depend on him. Be with him, and then what? Nothing will come against you. Christ is better. He's the one we should commit to. We better depend on Jesus to deliver us from evil. Isn't that what part of the Lord's Prayer is? <laughs> deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. It's strange to me. What is it with our culture that actually likes evil things? <laughs> Have you noticed that? We actually crave evil things. We, we, we find joy in demonic things. Why? I mean, everywhere you go, there's haunted houses and 
scary things, right? What is it? Why do we do this? Why do we like watching movies about exorcism and seeing demonic worlds and things like that? What in the world? Our, our culture dabbles with some very wicked stuff. Why? I think it's important to remember the ones who are susceptible to this are not just the really bad people. Listen closely. You're either with them or against them, right? And the implication is what? If you're against them, you're susceptible. I think Satan, some of its uh, greatest deception is, is making it about those really bad, evil people. You know, the ones, the Satanists that have the signs on their heads and have all that, and we all go, that's what Satan really is. No. No, that's just the extreme far, 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 far fringes. Anybody that is not with him is against him. Anybody that's against him is susceptible to eight demons. Did you hear that? Anybody that is not with him is susceptible to total domination by evil. Folks, I don't want to play with it. Do you want to play with it? Turn with me to Acts. We've got to look at this little passage. I love it. This is what happens. People think, oh, yeah. I'm going to start casting out demons. This is neat. Acts 19.11. <laughs> Ephesus. This is in the beginning, beginning stages of the church in Ephesus. And God was performing extraordinary miracles, verse 11, by the hands of Paul. So that the handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them. And the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists, uh-oh, who went from the place from place to place, attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. <laughs> What's that? I don't believe it, but I think it's powerful. <laughs> Seven sons of Seba. A Jewish chief priest were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them. Now that's seven men, right? Seven men. Then the evil spirit, one evil spirit answered and said to them. I recognize Jesus. And I know about Paul. But who are you? <laughs> that is a scary, scary question. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them, seven men, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all in the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. I don't know about you, let's don't play with it. What in the world would you want to play with it for? Who's the king? Jesus. Follow him. You're either with him or against him. If 
you're against him, you might get a beat down if you're not careful. Let's look back over at another passage. Turn to 1 Peter. Let's look at these passages that warn us of the evil one and his wickedness. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 5. The Apostle Peter gives us some great words here about how we should view the evil one and what we should do. Verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith. Or you could translate that, firm in your trust in God. Right? Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. How do we accomplish it? We trust the Lord. Notice over at James. Go to James chapter 4. Another one. Evil everywhere. James is rebuking them. (laughs) Calling them to look at the evil that's in their midst. Calling them to turn. James chapter 4 verse 1. By the way, this evil finds its way in many different um, uh, ways. or it, 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 This evil influence finds its expression in many different areas. This is where the demonic world comes in. Look at verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Do you see the line? It's a clear line, isn't it? Friendship with the world, hostility to God. You're either with me or against me. There it is. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Interesting. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says... God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. And this is it right here. It's the whole concept of total dependence and humility is how you avoid evil. Did you hear me? Get this. Grab it. It's so important. Why is Jesus giving a glimpse of the spirit world and showing how ugly it is and how scary it is? 
He's doing it for a purpose. His purpose is to get people to do what? I need you. I'm needy. This world is scary. There are powerful beings out there, and I can't control it. I don't even see it. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He is the one that will deliver you. He is the one. God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Never, never ceases to amaze me. Some of the statements of the word of faith movement, right? The ones, oh, I'm a, I'm, I, I slay demons. And you know what I mean? I, I, I cast them out. No, no, the apostles did that. Nowhere in the New Testament does it tell us to go out hunting demons. Go look for one so you can cast them out. Does it say that? Do one thing. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He's opposed to the proud that stand up and say, I can do it. He's gracious to those that are dependent upon him and humble. Where are you? Are you a needy, dependent man or woman? Or are you a proud, arrogant devil slayer? heard preachers say it before I think I might have even said it makes you want to swing through hell with a water pistol you heard that one before that sounds like one of them southern baptist things I picked up huh <laughs> what's the point I, I could do anything give me a break that's the most proud thing you can say I don't want to swing through hell do you I don't want to take on the devil. Anybody want to take on the devil? No. If one demon can take seven guys down real quick, I'm afraid. I need Christ, the king. And you do too. Just because these passages say that the devil is after us, they also say we can resist him by humbly submitting to God. There is never room for the phrase, the devil made me do it. Did you hear me? Don't go around there. Oh, it's, it's Satan. It's those demons that continue to harass me. That's why I did it. No. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Resist him in the power of God, trusting him to accomplish it. We have a responsibility to resist evil, humbly seeking the Lord Jesus. That's how we resist it. In light of the fact that Jesus knows the enemy this well, don't you think he is the one we should be seeking with all of our hearts? Do you get it? If he knows the demonic world perfectly, and he does, don't you think he's the one we should be seeking? With all of our hearts craving him? Jesus understands the spirit world and reveals he is wise beyond the world's knowledge. And Jesus' wisdom Causes a woman now, notice the second section, to stand up and cry out something interesting here. This gives Jesus another opportunity 
to give a warning to respond appropriately, which brings us to our second warning. A warning to respond correctly to the revelation of God. A warning to respond correctly to the revelation of God in verses 27 and 28. Let's look. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him. She didn't stand up. She just raised her voice. Or she might have stood up, but it didn't say it. Blessed is the woman that bore you in the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Here we see Jesus in effect says, if you know who I am, there is need of faith resulting in obedience. That's the gist of what he gets at here. The, the response of the woman is actually partially right. She gives some credit to who Jesus is with this statement. By saying Jesus' mother is blessed or joyfully favored by God, by having him, she is acknowledging the great worth of Jesus. But Jesus sees that while this is true, it is not putting the emphasis in the right direction. Much like the Roman Catholics, right? What do they do with Mary? They take Mary and they raise her up and they make her a deity. And they begin to exalt her and get the attention off the only Redeemer, the only God. The phrase where Jesus says, on the contrary, is probably better translated this. Yes, rather. Or, yes, but more importantly, Jesus says to the lady, yes, but more importantly, blessed, joyfully favored by God, are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Who are the ones that are blessed by God? Who are they? They are the ones that hear the word of God and observe it. So does that exclude all of our deaf brothers and sisters? You can't hear it. No. That's not what the word hear means. The word hear means take in and consume, understand, grab the word of God. The ones who truly joyfully are favored by God are those who are characterized by taking in the word of God and obeying what the word of God says. Where is fullness of joy found, ladies and gentlemen? It's in hearing and obeying the word of God. Really? Is that where blessings are found? Absolutely. You know, our, our desire to avoid legalism sometimes can cause us to fall into a trap. You know, it's a good thing to obey your parents, children. It's a good thing. There's joy there. That's a good thing. Those who are graciously empowered by the Spirit of God are the ones that are blessed and joyful in obedience. Who are the ones God is pouring out his full measure of grace on? Those are the ones that are hearing the word of God and observing it. Again, it's not we do this in order to get his favor. It's we do this because he's blessing us. It's because His grace is upon us. We know to follow Him is joyful. I want to obey Him. Again, the world makes 
fullness of joy about this world. That's what the lady did. Blessed is your mother, in effect, because she had you. Man, she's she's an amazing lady. She is favored by God because she has a smart son that knows about the demon world. No, it's not about hearing this. It's about hearing and observing the word of God and then acting on it. Enjoying God by obeying him and worshiping him. Jesus calls for an even better response to God in light of who he is. Again, it is, be with me. Gather with me. Grab a hold of who I am and let's go. Let's obey God. Let's enjoy him. Let's delight in him. One commentator put it very well here. He said, here Jesus does not deny the woman's statement. But he points out how inadequate it is. She has missed the main point. To be the mother in Jesus implies no more than to share in his humanity. To hear and keep the word of God implies communion with the divine. Listen, if you hear Christ speaking, you hear the revelation of God and you respond by taking it in and obeying him, you're getting it. Otherwise, you're like the woman that makes it about having a kid that's smart, which is not what it's all about. Hearing and obeying the word of God is better than being related to Jesus as his mother. Did you hear that? Jesus says it, In another place, when asked about his mother and his brothers, look over there, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Some very similar stuff. That's why some would say that this is somewhat of a parallel passage. But again, I think he could be just speaking some of the same things that he spoke before. You look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, Behold, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. So what is that? They're saying, Look, your fleshly or your flesh is outside. Your family's outside. What's he say? But Jesus answered and said, answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand to, towards his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. What? For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. The emphasis is on what? A right relationship with God is displayed in obedience to God, and therefore you are with Him. Very important. If your heart has been changed, you will obey God. Put real simple. If you are right with God, you have been declared right by faith in Him, you will obey Him. Now, everybody in here says, but I don't obey all the time. Perfect. Direction, not perfection, right? We've said this 
hundreds of times, but it is what it's about. Is is it possible to be is it possible to be right with God and not obey him? No. No. Some of you say, well, I have brothers and sisters or family members that prayed some prayer sometime way back when they were four or five and they got baptized. They said they received Jesus into their heart, but they haven't talked about Christ since. They don't live for him. There's no evidence at all. What should we be telling these people? We should be giving them the gospel. Because the ones that are rightly related to Christ are the ones who do what? Receive and hear the word of God and obey him. Again, it's not the obedient acts that save us. But we are saved to do obedient acts. He changes us so that we will obey him. He doesn't change us because we obey him. Do you understand the difference? He saves us to obey. We don't obey to get saved. Very, very important. In this context, to take in and understand the word of God and then to respond to it appropriately demonstrates there's been a heart change. And you're depending on Christ, not yourself. God's gracious hand of favor is on everyone who understands the word and embraces the truth and acts in obedience. So let's look back at Luke chapter 11. Let me ask you. How can we tell if we are with him or against him? How can we tell if we are with him or against him? Put real simple, verse 23. We humbly gather together with him. And we follow our shepherd. Put real simple. We resist the devil by total dependence upon the Lord. Because he knows the spirit world. He gets it. And we don't. We need him. And third. We take in and understand the word of God. And then obey it. That's how we know. That's how we can tell if we're with him or against him. So found in these warnings are some clear marks that show what side you're on. Are you with him or against him? Let me ask you. If you gather together with God's own and follow the Lord Jesus, you're on his side. If you don't, you're scattered, you're not. Just a side note on here. There's, especially in our society right now, there's this growing movement of, I can follow God and not go to church. There's this huge movement. I can be at home and watch TV, and I can still follow God. No, folks. Those that love God will love the brethren, and they will gather together with them and follow the shepherd. Fact. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity. Don't work. I need you and you need me. Do you understand? We gather together and we follow the Savior. Second, if we resist evil, the evil one, by humbly depending on the Lord, then we are on his side. If we think we're all about us conquering and doing it, 
We've missed the point. We are humble, needy, dependent people. Now, I know this doesn't always go over in our culture, does it? They say that you need to feel good about yourself. The world tells you that you need to have a high self-esteem, doesn't it? world tell you that? You need to feel good about yourself. Pastor Mike tells you the opposite. Stop feeling good about yourself. You feel too good about yourself. Depend on Christ. You're a needy, humble, hopefully, dependent person. If you're not, you're susceptible to pride. God resists the proud. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble, needy people. We're a church full of needy people, aren't we? Now, that does not mean walk around, oh, woe is me. I'm a needy person. I've got this need. Hope, will you help me out? No. Go to the Lord with your needs and your dependence. Don't be that one person. Y'all know, right? We're, I've been this. I've fallen into that. Where we run around walking up to each other. Oh, did you hear about this? And I got this problem. I got this. And I got this. And, oh. And you see him. And you go, oh, here comes that person that's going to dump on me. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? That's not what we're talking about here. Okay, don't walk around. Woe is me. I'm that needy person. Listen, we are needy people, but we run to our Lord for our needs. We depend on him. We trust in him to accomplish these things. Folks, if we take in and embrace God's word, we will then obey him. We're on Jesus' side. You know, obedience is found in several ways. Loving the brethren. Laying down your life for other people. Why do you come to the church? Trick question. I come to hear the word of God. I hope so. You also ought to come to serve. Right? You come to express your love for the brethren. You come to lay down your life for other people. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Right? Obedience is found in loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving your brothers and sisters as yourself. Laying down your life for one another. And... We are having a baptism coming up soon. There are people that have expressed an interest in being baptized. He says be baptized, so this is an act of obedience. So you can be baptized. If you're interested in that, come see me afterwards. Okay? When do you, when do you get baptized, by the way? Let's clarify this real quick. After or before you become a believer? After you become a believer. After you become a believer. If you say, well, my, I, I prayed a prayer when I was four, and my life re- reflected no submission to God, and I really didn't submit to him. I didn't really know him. 
And then God opened my eyes and saw that I was a sinner, and I repented of my sins and trusted in him, and I really got it. He's Lord. That's when you were saved. That's when you became a believer, because remember, those who believe in him will obey him, right? That's when you need to get baptized, after that. Also, I think church membership is an obedience now. We had this big discussion on one of the boards this week on Facebook, thanks to Miss Sarah Jo. question is whether or not church membership, that term church membership, is in the Bible. That term is not, but it is implied throughout it. In the New Testament, especially in the epistles, it's implied that you should be a part of a body that is serving the king, walking with him. So I think this is a way to be committed to a covenant body. You're not going to agree with every single thing that we say and do all the time. But you're going to want to serve the king and love the neighbor and love your brothers and sisters. So I think these are ways to demonstrate your love for Christ. Through obedience. Let's go ahead and close there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace towards us. God, we need you. We are so thankful for you. And Father, we see that there is a whole world out there, a spiritual world that we don't even get. We don't even understand. We don't see. And so we need you. You're the king. You're the sovereign over all. So we want to trust you. Please, Lord, help us. Help us to obey you. We need you even for that. Can't obey without your grace. And yet we resolve to obey you by that grace that lives within us. For we know that he who works in us to do and to will for his good pleasure, we know that you are working. So we trust you, and we will work out our salvation in fear and trembling, knowing that you are a God to be honored. Help this body reflect your glory, Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.